How are you doing this morning? Everybody good? Yeah. All right, let's get our Bibles open to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in the last two verses of chapter uh, 2. And um, as we get started here, I think we've, we've talked about this before in a, in a different message, but the whole idea of needs versus wants, I think we've talked about that before. It's usually about material things. It's uh, kind of like an economics money question intended to help us spend within our means. And so we think about it in those terms, but the question of needs versus wants certainly extends well beyond um, our finances and our possessions to matters of the heart and even matters of life itself. And uh, for example, I could give you a couple of examples here, Um, needs versus wants in terms of education. uh, For sure, it's a need that we learn, uh, but it can be a want that we go to a certain school or take a certain program. Uh, if we think to uh, relationships, it's a need that we be in relationship and God has actually fashioned us to be in relationship. So that's a need, but it's a want to be married or it's a want to have children or grandchildren, uh, not necessarily a need to have those things. We could be perfectly fulfilled in life before Christ without, uh, without those specific relationships. Uh, we might, um, in terms of our career, we might have a want to have a certain career, but the need really is to have a job and to make enough money at that job to provide for those other needs that we have. And so you can see that it it affects, just those three examples show how um, needs and wants plays out in, in really every aspect of our lives. And as we think about this and lay down a principle that could govern all of those areas of our lives in terms of needs and wants, the Apostle Paul spoke to this, and this was in a letter he wrote to Timothy. He said this, if we have food and clothing, and he's just using those two examples, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. In other words, Christians are to be the kind of people who are satisfied with the basics of life. So we're not going to get stuck on food and clothing. He's just using that as representative of anything that's need versus want. We're going to be content that our needs are being met. We can survive in this world if we would just have our needs. We would have our physical well-being, our relational well-being in place if we just had our needs met, not our wants. And of course, the consequence of not having our needs met is we could actually die if we don't have food and water, if we don't have shelter, if we don't have any relationships, we could literally turn inward on ourselves. Death is the natural result of not having needs met. But, but it's only really disappointment at the end of not having our wants met. Again, we're setting out a principle here that's going to help us as we move into the message here today. This is the point. Christians should focus on what we need. Amen. Christians should focus on what we need so that when we focus on matters of the spiritual, when we focus on eternal things, when we focus on God's kingdom, it's going to come down to just the one thing that we need. And we've been talking about it throughout this series. The one thing we really need is God's grace. And do I know that God graciously provides all I need for now and for eternity. Is that something that you could affirm and say is true? God provides, graciously provides all that I need for now 
and for eternity. And that's what we're going to see in this really brief passage today. Again, just the last two verses of chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians. And it's a prayer. It's a benediction that Paul speaks over them. Verses 16 and 17. I'll read it. I'll pray. And then we'll, we'll go after this together. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful again to have your word open in front of us and to be able to hear it. Not enough to hear it. We need to grasp what it means. And then, Father, we need your Holy Spirit to tell us to convince us of the truths and convict us of what it says so that we could be transformed and become more like Jesus. We need to know what to do with what we're hearing. And so, Father, do that, please. It's beyond any of us to make that happen. We need your Holy Spirit in this place right now. Thank you for hearing our songs of worship. Thank you for giving us the, the Lord's table to remember the death of Christ. But now, Father, speak to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen? All right, here's, here's the, the point that I hope everyone here can affirm by the end of this message. God graciously provides all I need for now and eternity. And here are the implications of saying that that come out of this very short passage. The first is this, I'm encouraged by what is yet to come. Now, again, this is a prayer. These two verses are a prayer or a benediction that Paul inserts right into the middle of this letter. You wonder why he inserts it right here, but he's accomplished several really good things leading up to this point in the letter. The first of them was that he's, he spent some time encouraging them, and they were pretty discouraged. If you go into chapter 1, verse 4, he said that they were suffering from afflictions and persecution. They were brand new believers, and the heat was on because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul spends some time just encouraging them. You're doing great. Just keep, keep on with that. And you read about that in the first few verses of chapter 1, verse 4 in particular, talks about the persecutions and afflictions. And then not only did he encourage them, but he also explained some things to them especially concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1 says that. They were confused about this matter of of Jesus' return. And Paul brought clarity to that by explaining some things to them. So he encouraged them, he explained some things to them. And then uh, thirdly, he exhorted them or he commanded them. And really the only command that comes out of this first part of the letter is this one command that's in chapter 2 where he says, verse 15... He commands them to stand firm and hold to the Word of God. Just just believe what I told you. Believe what you hear in the Word of God. And then all of this, all the encouragement that He's given them, all the explanation He's given to them, the exhortation that He just gave to them concerning the Word of God, all of it, chapter 1, verse 12, reminded us is saturated by God's grace. That it's all coming as a result of God's gift to them. And so they are to be encouraged in their walk. And then here at this point, right at the end of chapter 2, having said all of that, 
encouraged, explained, exhorted. Now, let me pray for you. Now, let me pray for you, Paul says. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. The prayer starts with a focus on God himself. It doesn't start with, like so many of our prayers, it doesn't start with just a list. God, hey, thanks for tuning in, God. I have a list of things that are are really concerning to me right now. Let me get to my list. And so many of us pray this way, but Paul starts it out by just focusing on on Christ and focusing on the Father and and let's get our sights set on Him first and how awesome He is and the way He loved us and the grace that He's pouring out in our lives. Let's just talk about God for a few minutes, is what Paul says. And in fact, in these first words, he's, he's focusing on the Father and he's focusing on the Son. And really just a few verses before in this letter, he talked about the Holy Spirit. And you have all three persons of the Trinity all right there for us, all of them actively involved in the life of the Thessalonians and involved in our lives, all engaged in helping these believers be encouraged And then see what's being affirmed here for them. And we looked at this again last week in verse 13, where Paul called them beloved by the Lord. And he reminds them again that it's it's God who loved them. God, God loves them. And he shows this love, if you're looking at the verse, he shows this love in two very distinct ways. Notice them, first of all, he shows his love by giving them eternal comfort and good hope, two different things that he provides as a result of his love for them. Essentially, those two things are saying the same thing. The former emphasizes the destination. That's eternal comfort. That's something that has yet to come for any of us in this room. We're all waiting for our eternal comfort. That's, that's the end goal for every person here who knows and loves Jesus Christ. We're trying to get to heaven. We're trying to get the presence of God. We're trying to get to that day where there's no more sorrows and no more tears and no more death and no more sin. That's the eternal comfort that he gives because he loves us. And then secondly, notice, he also gives us good hope. A confident hope, by the way, here's a definition we've used before. It's John Piper's. Hope is a confident expectation and desire for good things in the future. That's hope. A confident expectation and desire for good things in the future. Ultimately, we would say the future is eternity. It's getting to be with Jesus in heaven. And this hope that we have, this confident expectation, it's rock solid. We know for sure that this hope is going to come to be. In fact, when you think about hope, another great passage where hope is explained to us, where, where hope and love are explained to us, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in that phenomenal chapter about love, Paul says right at the end of it, now three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And then he says, the greatest of these is, it's love. The greatest of these is love. You ever wonder why of those three things, all of which seem awesome, Faith is awesome, hope is awesome, love is awesome. Why is love the greatest? Why would Paul isolate that? Well, that's because love of the three is the only one that continues on into eternity. It's the one that's still there on the other side of us passing from this life into the next. See, faith someday will become sight. There's not going to be any need to have faith once you get to heaven because we're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. 
No more need for faith. There's no more need for hope. Hope is a confident expectation. Once you get to heaven, there's no need to expect anything else. It's all going to be right there. We're going to have it. So it's not that faith isn't great. It's not that hope isn't great. Those are awesome things to have right now. But they're both going to come to an end, and that's why they're not the greatest. The greatest is love, because, because love is the very character of the kingdom that we're heading toward. And God promises us that throughout all of eternity. So this, this hope is solid. It's based in who Jesus Christ is. It's based in what Jesus Christ did for us. You think of his sacrifice on the cross. You think of his blood being shed. You think about the atonement, the covering of our sin where he took my sin and your sin on himself and was crucified paying the penalty for that sin by giving his own life on the cross. When you you think about all of that and, and how from the cross he cried out, paid in full, it is finished. What an awesome moment to realize the depth of his love and what he was willing to do for you and I to get what Paul prays for first, that eternal, eternal comfort that he has for us. Now, the the challenge for us in all of this, even though Jesus guarantees this to us, is increasingly we need to be looking for our comfort beyond this life. We need to set our fix our gaze upon, fix our eyes upon, and set our gaze upon Jesus Christ and eternity Because we live in a very polarized and angry world, don't we? It's very polarized. The people on the extremes of every issue, name an issue, the people on the the extremes of every issue are very vehement and very angry at each other. And those of us who might be more moderate on these things find ourselves caught in the middle of these angry exchanges. And the world seems to be moving further and further apart. We talk about living in a global village, that we're all really in this together. We talk about treaties and alliances. Our politicians have all these summits to talk things through. And even though all of that is happening, it just seems to me like we're sitting on a geopolitical time bomb, that we're just really waiting for it to go off, that the politics of division and hate are really what's at play today. And again, in these months leading up to a federal election in our own country, we can expect that the political parties will do whatever it takes and say whatever they need to say, especially about the other guy, and no party is immune to this. They will do whatever it takes to get power. And it's not about making this country a better place, though that's what they'll say about it. And if we're looking for comfort in having a a better world, or we're looking for government policies and programs that are going to fix things, we are destined to be bitterly disappointed. We've been through these cycles before. 
And Jesus Christ offers us in eternity eternal comfort. Not something we're looking for here. And you say, well, I'm not really into all of that. I don't read the news. I don't care about politics. I never vote. I don't inform myself about it at all. It really does not matter to me. I'm just concerned with just me. Well, good for you. And I've actually written something down for you too. So everyone is covered. I mean, even if we reject all the global talk in favor of, you know, more individ- a more individual sense of where I find my hope from, how can I be comforted in this life? So many people are looking for things to comfort them that ultimately are just going to fail them every time. You just think about it. Our lives are always changing. I mean, I, I, hit, I hit 55 a week ago. And it changes things. Your perspective changes on things. I welcome my first granddaughter into the world. It changes things. One generation passes. Another generation comes up. Everything is always changing. And you always feel, listen, take it from someone who's, you know, halfway through his 50s. You always feel a little unsettled because you're always a rookie at whatever stage of life you're in. So if that's where you're looking for your comfort, if only I can get into my 50s, it just seems like everything's a little bit more stable. Uh, no, it isn't. That's not it. Most of the places we go to be comforted are fleeting at best. I'm not saying that the examples I'm going to use next don't bring some level of comfort because they do. But how many of us want to get lost in the comfort of, I'm just going to spend the weekend binge-watching fill-in-the-blank show on Netflix. That's how I'm going to spend my weekend because it's going to bring some comfort to me. And I watch show after show after show. I just hit next episode. I'm not saying I haven't done that. I do that. I, I, how many times have I come home at the end of a, a, a very full and, and pressure-packed week and I say to Cheryl, you know, all I want to do tonight is sit with you and, and drink tea and, and watch however many episodes of whatever we can watch. And I won't deny that that provides a level of comfort in the sense that it's escapism. And I can forget about everything else while I throw myself into this series. But the problem is, at the end of the binge-watching weekend, whatever the pressure was I had in my life is all still there. And when, and when the series is done, <laughs> what are we going to watch next? Scroll, 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 scroll. Alcohol and drugs. I have no doubt that if, if I, I'm not a drinker, but if I was a drinker, those of you who are, that it's easy to come home and have a glass of wine and have another and have another. And that, that wine will bring a measure of comfort. I am not denying that. Prescription drugs or non-prescription drugs will give you temporary euphoric relief from whatever pressures you're facing. No one denies that. But at the end of the high... When you sober up, everything is still there. At best, these provide moments of comfort, but not enough. I have a few more examples. You want them? Sex, 
gambling, shopping, spending, you know, retail therapy. You've heard of this, right? I'm just feeling so bad in myself. There's so much pressure. I just want to go shopping. I'm just going to go buy something. I mean, you don't even have to leave the house to do it anymore. Just Amazon that. Scroll, 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 scroll. Buy now. It just arrives right at your door. It's awesome. Eating. Eating is a very good thing, a need. But when we use it for our comfort, it's such an innocuous thing that we think it's nothing. Oh, well, so what? I ate a whole bag of salt and vinegar, vinegar chips. Who cares? Getaways and vacations, good things. Oh, just, just, things are so bad right now. What I really need is just to get away. I need to get away for the next seven days. And the problem is, at the end of the seven-day getaway, a week has passed, and all the things that drove you to go on the vacation to find the comfort are all waiting for you when you get home. As soon as you touch down at Pearson. Hello. We're still here. But it was great while you were at the resort. I get it. It's temporary comfort. That's all it ever gives you. Workouts and self-improvement. There's another one. Oh, I missed my workout today. I, I don't feel great about myself. I mean, I've heard that workouts are really good for you. I've heard that. <laughs> I'm not saying don't work out. Go ahead and work out. It's a positive thing for your body, but don't look to that to be the thing that brings you your comfort. Because at the end of the workout, it's all still there. All of these may provide a quick hit, but in the end, no lasting comfort. What we want is eternal comfort that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing, listen, because right here in the verse, knowing that God loves you. If you know God loves you, you don't need all those other things to bring comfort. You don't need to find anything to escape into. When you're loved, not only are you comforted, but you become unstoppable because you have good hope here and now. You have an unshakable confidence in a God who loves us. And of all the qualities that could possibly spur us on to accomplish great things and, and lead a great life, to know that we are loved is the most critical. Think of all the things that we could pray for that are good things to pray for. God, instead of running to the wrong thing to find my comfort, I want to run to the right thing. So God, I'm going to pray for more faith to believe you. God, I'm going to pray for more wisdom in difficult situations. God, I'm going to pray for more strength in the midst of the trial. God, I'm going to pray for more courage to make the right decision. Now, no one would argue that if you're praying for faith or strength or wisdom or courage, no one's arguing that those are awesome things to pray for. And I pray those things for myself. But here's what I'm going to say. If you already know that God loves you, if I know that I am loved by my God, that's really the one thing I need. And by His grace, He's told me that. 
when I know that I'm loved, everything else follows in behind that. To know that I'm loved makes me fearless. Faith, courage, strength, wisdom all follow hard on the heels of just knowing that I'm loved. If I'm loved, I'll do whatever needs to be done. I'll risk whatever needs to be risked. And the reason why I'll do that is because I know I already have the one thing that is of greatest value by God's grace. He's told me he loves me. Now, I could lose my life. I could lose all my possessions. I could lose every relationship around me. But if I know that God loves me, no one's ever going to be able to take that from me. No one can. So I can take the risk. I can be fearless. I can give my life because I have the love of God. And I have everything I need because that's ultimately all I need. And so I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by this eternal comfort that I have and and this good hope that I have on the the journey to that destination. I have all of that. And notice this secondly, I am also strengthened in the midst of what is. So he's kind of set it up, Paul, this, this prayer. He set it up talking mostly about the Lord and what he's done for for us. And then the request part of the prayer starts here. And Paul asks first that God, he uses the same word comfort here, verse 17, that God would comfort your hearts, comfort their hearts. Again, he uses that same word comfort. In, In verse 16, it was eternal comfort, something to look forward to. But now he's talking about comfort that's going to be like right now. I I need it like today. Before eternity. The word comfort is a familiar one. If you've been studying the Bible for any length of time, most believers would understand uh, this word. As I explained it, the Bible uses it to describe, in fact, the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And depending on the English translation that you use, you may have heard, no doubt, the Holy Spirit referred to as the counselor or the comforter, or the advocate, or the encourager, or the helper. All of those words are used in various English translations to describe the Holy Spirit himself. In the original language, the Greek, the verb form of this word translated comfort here is parakaleo, uh, to comfort, to encourage, or to help. The noun is parakletos. Uh, This is where it becomes more like a proper name for the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the counselor, or the helper. And when you think about those five different English words that can all be used to describe the Holy Spirit in this case, all of those English words are limited in their scope and don't really capture the full essence of the original language word. And so really it's all of them Uh, together to describe this. Literally, it means called to one's aid, or I really like this one. The parakletos is the one who comes alongside in support. And I think that's a picture that we can easily identify with. And again, to, to run it through various examples, if you were ever accused of something and had to go to court It's really helpful not to uh, defend yourself, but rather to have an advocate beside you. And so when the judge 
says there are charges against you and you are required to stand before the judge, an advocate or a lawyer who understands the legal processes stands with you to defend you. That's a parakletos. The lawyer or the advocate is standing with you in, in that case. Or think about a celebrity or a politician, and they would have a bodyguard. They would have a detail that would be attached to them who would stand with them, stand beside them, offering protection and watching to make sure there aren't, there's no harm that's going to come to the person they're protecting. That bodyguard is a parakletos coming alongside of them to assist them. Or I could talk about, um, you know, the, the husband in the delivery room. Should be, should be a parakletos who comes alongside his wife. I get that some of them, rather than being the one who comes alongside, sometimes they are the one who falls down on the floor because they can't cope with what they're seeing. I think I was a fairly good parakletos with the three children that we have, although there was an incident from when Emily was born uh, 25 years ago, and, um, and uh, I was hungry. And so while Cheryl was in full active labor, I was coming alongside of her, but also eating a Whopper at the moment. And uh, <laughs> she, she mentioned that and did not find it helpful, as helpful as... <laughs> As I, um, I was hungry. Um, or I, I think of this picture. This is a good one. Um, I think about when a hockey player goes down injured on the ice and two of his teammates will pick that hockey player up and would come alongside him, one on the right and one on the left, and help him off the ice. And all of those are great pictures of what we're talking about here in terms of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That comfort that comes to us is the Holy Spirit coming alongside of us. It's, it's strengthening. I'm strengthened in the midst of whatever is in my life. Because the Holy Spirit is with me, beside me, walking with me every step of the way to have the assurance that no matter what I face, no matter what I'm hearing, no matter what life throws at me, God is walking with me through it and supporting me every step of the way, precisely in the way I need to be supported. Now, the Thessalonian believers were facing real hostility because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and every indication was they didn't even know Jesus and much longer than maybe a year, but probably less than that by the time this letter is written. And that's a scenario that's increasingly easy for us in Canada to identify with. For, for sure, we're not yet being persecuted, so let's not put any persecution complex on us, but we do live in a country that's increasingly anti-Christian. We all get that. And so, and so it, it's, it's becoming more difficult for us to navigate our faith in the midst of all of this, and that's going to prove even more challenging in the years to come. And so when we lose opportunities, when we miss out on a job, when our friends no longer want to be with us because they disagree vehemently with what we believe, when our families shun us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, when we lose many of our wants and all we're left with is that one pressing need that we have to know that we are loved, to know that we've received God's grace in that 
Will we say it's enough to simply know that Jesus loves me? Will it be enough if the Holy Spirit is the parakletos, the one who comes alongside no matter the circumstances and strengthens us in the face of it? Well, God graciously provides what I need for now and eternity. I'm encouraged by what is yet to come. I'm strengthened in the midst of what is. And then this finally, notice, I am attending to what is to be done. I'm attending to what is to be done. The second request that Paul makes of the Lord in verse 17, partway through there, is to establish them, to establish the Thessalonians, the believers, in every good work and word. The word established there means to literally fix your face on something. It it is to have a firm resolve to make a, a final and unchanging decision. It is to be definite about something. And that's what Paul's praying for these Thessalonians, that they are going to be absolutely resolved. Their face is firmly fixed on this one thing that he's going to pray for them. So in light of everything else that he said, he's encouraged them, he's explained some things to them, he's exhorted them about the Word of God. He's now prayed for them that they would understand more fully the grace of God in their lives and the love of God, that they would have this eternal hope, that they would have um, this eternal comfort and this good hope. And now he comes down to it. What's the one thing that they need to be definite about? To establish them in every good work and word. The definitive decision that they need to be making is about how they're working, how they're serving. It's about the good work that we're to be doing and the good word that we're to be proclaiming. Now, in the next message, we're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 3, and we're going to talk a lot more about the mission to proclaim the gospel around the world. And so I'm going to leave that part, the good word, until next week. But now let's focus on the good work. See, a Christian who gets it, a Christian who gets it, a Christian who loves Jesus Christ, a Christian who understands the grace that has been given to save them that it is undeserved, that it is unearned. God just does it because he loves us. A Christian who gets it, who loves Jesus and understands the grace of God, will want to do for others what Jesus Christ has done for them. Will want to do, will want to do for others what Jesus Christ has done for them. If you've received the grace of Christ, you should want to give that grace to others. That's the mark of a genuine Christian. I can't believe what God has given to me. I don't deserve any of it. I haven't earned a bit of it. God loves me so much. I want to give that to others. In other words, I want to take the grace of God as it's been given to me, and I want to become a conduit of that grace out to every person that I come into contact with. I want to let God's grace flow through me. I'm attending to what is to be done. 
And we talk freely here at Harvest about a, a disciple being defined by three W's. We talk about worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ. Pretty simple formula to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To worship Christ is, first of all, you become a worshiper of Christ by becoming a follower of Christ. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. As a testimony to that, in accordance with the Scriptures, I've been baptized. Let people know what my testimony is, that I've received Jesus Christ. I'm identifying with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. And then I want to be part of what God is doing here. And so I'm not forsaking the assembling of myself together. I'm here every week. I'm worshiping God. I'm worshiping Christ with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's worship Christ. That's the first part about it being a disciple. The second part is this walk with Christ. I have a personal relationship with him. Therefore, I'm going to cultivate that through personal spiritual disciplines. I'm going to read the word myself. I'm going to listen to devotionals. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have a prayer life. These are things that I want to have active in my life. So I'm cultivating my relationship with God. And then beyond that, I'm going to walk with Christ with other people. I'm going to get engaged in a small group. I'm going to be in relationship with other people and we're going to do life together. That's walk with Christ. Then the third aspect of being a disciple, that's worship, that's a worship walk and then work for Christ is I've been given certain talents, certain spiritual abilities, and I have certain passions to minister to certain people, certain groups, or do certain things. And I'm going to use that for the sake of God's kingdom. In other words, the grace that God has given to me, I'm going to use that to serve others by working for Christ. And when we key on that last one, that's the question in this point is, am I attending to what needs to be done? Am I attending to the making of disciples? In what ways are you personally contributing to the mission to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ? This isn't just a collective thing. I'm part of a church that's doing it. It's, it's, a, it's a me thing. What am I doing personally to advance the cause of Christ in this community? And we're grateful because we have so many people here at Harvest who are fully engaged and committed to some aspect of that mission. Because you drove onto the parking lot when I got here at about 8.15 this morning. You know, the pylons were all set out over the, all over the parking lot and people were in their vests and they were ready to welcome people in the parking lot and greet you as you came in, as you came through the door. Members of our first impressions teams were at the door. We're ushering here in the room, staffing connections, staffing guest central, doing a great job of creating a wonderful atmosphere of love here and welcoming us all into worship. Some of you probably came in through the north doors and went into Harvest Kids and registered your kids down there and dozens and dozens of volunteers are working down there, serving Christ, working for Christ to dispense grace to your children. We have an amazing worship team that led us through worship, a production team that does all the behind the scenes stuff to make what happens up here happen. We have elders who help govern this church. We, we have people who are part of our facilities team who, who clean the building and maintain it during the week, keep our grounds looking phenomenal. We have people on the finance side who are counting money. We have hospitality people who are going to serve you a really good cup of coffee after the service. We have Awana leaders and helpers. We have 
high five leaders and volunteers. We have lay counselors in our biblical soul care ministry. We have youth leaders who take care of our teenagers. We have our safety team that watches over the facility while we're here. And I've probably missed a ministry or two along the way. And we all do it simply because we love God so much. And we know He loves us so much. And we know He loves people. And so we love people. And that together with the notion that Jesus is coming back and at least part of this letter to the Thessalonians is about the return of Jesus. And we want to be found doing His work and fulfilling His mission at His coming. We do it because of grace. God's grace for us. A grace that should be dispensed to others. God has provided all I need for now and eternity. And so instead of spending more time and energy on me, pursuing more of my wants, since I have everything I need, I want to invest more in God's kingdom. I want to give more to the mission. I'm going to spend it on others. I'm attending to what is to be done. Are you? Remember this quote from long ago, and I just thought about it when I was coming over this morning. C.T. Studd said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you think about that, this week, as you're going through your week and all the different activities that you're going to do this week, and you ran it through the filter of what CT has said, only what's done for Christ will last. I think that would change the priorities of our week. And we might find that we have more time to attend to what is to be done. And really, this final aspect of Paul's prayer is is the great emphasis as we think about what Paul is praying for the Thessalonian church and then begin applying that to our own situation and asking ourselves the question, am I established in this? Am I firm in my resolve about serving in this way in every good work and word? As part of the Harvest family here, as part of what God is doing in the city of Barrie, in the county of Simcoe, and around the world. In other words, we're asking the question, how can I serve? Where can I go to work for Christ? I thought the best way to end this message would be to invite out some members, four members of our pastoral team to come up here right now. And I'm going to have them actually speak to this issue because there may be people right here in the room who are saying, you know what, I'm serving, but I'm underserving. I have more in me. Or, Or maybe there are some here who are saying, I'm not serving at all and I need to get into the game. And so what I thought we would do is Jeannie's going to start here and we're going to chat a little bit about this from each of their ministry team standpoints. Where are some needs? Where could you plug in? Where could you begin to get established in in working for Christ? So Jeannie, get us started. By the way, your hair looks great. I know you're getting ready for a high five. High five hair. It's very important. Yeah. Um, I noticed Pastor Dwayne doesn't have the same enthusiasm. No. <laughs> pretty, pretty lame. Pretty lame. You're not going to Okay, have we'll as get to him in a second. You go All ahead. Right. Sorry. So in Harvest Kids and Awana, you have an opportunity to impact the next generation for Christ. You might be called on to change the course of a child's life. 
and we'll be starting to recruit for Awana in August, so very soon. We are looking for stellar weekly volunteers who can pour into kids in a number of different ways. Awana runs from September until April. Every year we have kids from 2 to 12 in this program, and so we can certainly fit you in with your giftings. And in Harvest Kids, um, we have lots of different capacities that you can serve with kids or without kids. If you have administrative gifts, there's lots of different ways. We find out what you're passionate about and how God has gifted you, and we use all of that to glorify God in all that we do there. And we have so much fun doing it. So, that's great. I know right? you do. I knew it. So that's Sundays and Wednesdays. Great. I don't understand how we let Jeannie own fun. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not all there. So there's fun elsewhere. If she's going to own fun, I want to own cool. Okay, you got it. That's fine. Our ministry's cool. If you need to be cooler, join with us. <laughs> okay. Um, so here's, here's the thing. We're hearing this sermon. Uh, we minister to this generation. These guys minister to the next generation. Our teams minister to this generation. I do uh, small groups and first impressions. And at the end of life, all the adults in this room, they're going to meet Jesus. They're going to be evaluated on two things. What was their relationship like with Jesus? And as a result of that, what was it like with others? When you volunteer with us, you get to create experiences and you get to change ideas that God can use to help someone connect with Jesus again. So, um, uh, time's up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Wow, you were serious about that 90-second yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, okay, so yeah. 90 seconds left. Um, <laughs> that wasn't me. What, I <laughs> what I'd love you to understand is that there are people in this room this morning who have come into this church, and they met an ordinary person like you or me, and that changed their opinion, changed, gave them an experience that said, this is where I want to learn more about God. This is where I want to learn how to connect with others, and that's so beautiful. So we want you to be involved with that. And over the summer... Our, our people who have been serving all year long, they get tired. They want to take some breaks, too. And so I'd love to have 50 extra people just join us for these 10 weeks of summer. Sometime in that time, just do what someone else did this morning. Just say, can I put a name tag on? Can I greet someone this morning? Can I do something to help give someone some relief? We'd love that kind of help, so Great. let us know. And always looking for small group leaders and apprentices and hosts as well. Yes, we're which always were looking for Some of the people too. I missed in my paragraph. Yeah, it's yes, hard so. to jump right in on those, but talk to me about those things. We want to do like six new groups next year as well, so thanks. Awesome. Well, I have the uh, blessing and joy of, of overseeing Harvest Youth Ministry, and we've structured our ministry as such that on top of the time that we have in God's Word and worship and fun, because Harvest Youth is fun too. Right. Um, and, cool. and cool. And cool. Nice. Yeah. We got both. <laughs> Love it. I'm not. Our students are. Um, but uh, we, we, we also have time in small groups, and we divide our, our students in grades 6 to 12 up uh, based on gender and grade. And so, uh, like I said, on top of the time we have in God's Word and worship and fun each week, they get together in their small groups uh, to talk about the things that we talked about in God's Word, to talk about what's going on in their lives. And uh, so the importance of our small group leaders is they have the opportunity to um, continue the work that the Lord is doing in the lives of our students by facilitating their growth in their love for Jesus Christ and their passion for serving Him and knowing more about Him, and uh, to help lead them to a greater knowledge of what they're called to and who they are in Jesus Christ as well. And, uh, and I mean, the importance of this and impacting the next generation for Jesus Christ cannot be understated. And I was reading an article this week uh, that had this stat that 84% of evangelical believers gave their lives to Jesus Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. And that's crazy. And so what, our, what our, our small group leaders have the opportunity to do is to aid in the development, the spiritual development of our students. So if you're interested in doing that, I'd love to chat with you a little bit more about that as Great. well. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jordan. 
I'll, I'll use this. Oh, one. you have that too. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm here. So to, these guys all do. You're going to do on behalf of some behind the scenes. Yes, I, I'm here to represent a couple of ministries that are, you know, less noticeable. A lot of these are, are very frontline ministries. They're very forward facing, and you see them. And uh, and yet we've got other ministries, and Todd referenced these in the message, that are super crucial, super important, and yet uh, kind of go a little more. Um, little less noticed. And so one of those is our facility team. And we're so grateful for Thomas and his uh, mm-hmm. leadership of that team. And uh, don't you love coming to a clean building, one that's ready to go? Yeah. I know we as ministry leaders do. We love to have build the rooms that are set up for us and uh, functional. And when, you know, youth make holes in walls, get those things repaired, stuff yeah. like that. And so uh, we've got a team of people that come, you know, for a couple hours here, a couple hours there through the week and do that uh, in, in ways that work with their schedule. It's a very flexible kind of serving role. And uh, perhaps that's something that would excite you to help keep this place looking good, ready for ministry and, and all of that. And then also our hospitality team under, under Cheryl Dugard's leadership, um, I don't know about you, but I, I love to come and, and have refreshments at a ministry function. It just creates a warm and welcoming space where the ministry can be better received. And so on Sunday mornings in our George Cafe and other functions, we have hosting. Um, we've got some roles during the week for restocking, cleaning up the kitchen, that kind of a thing. And so perhaps that's something that would get you excited to help facilitate ministry through a more behind-the-scenes way. And and really, this is, I mean, this is the body of Christ at work. Uh, Paul says in First. Corinthians 12, he gives the image of a body, and, and uh, every part is important. It's not just the eyes that are important or the hands that are important. It's every part doing its part so the whole body functions. And so our goal is really just to help you find the place that matches your passions, your gifting, because that's where you're going to feel uh, enthusiasm. That's where you're going to feel the Spirit of God working through you in ministry. It's not just to fill holes. And so that's really our heart is to find the best place for each person where their gifts can be utilized. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you want to know more about any of this, the best place to go is to our central hub, hbc.info. If you go there and you go to the What's Happening tab and you click on that, you're going to see Work for Christ. You can click on that, and it's going to give you details about all of these ministries and other ministries where there are openings and how you can get engaged uh, in serving this summer. Dwayne is talking about some very immediate needs. Dan would have some very immediate needs. And then in the fall, as we head back into our a regular ministry year in, in August and September. And so go to uh, hvc.info and get all of that. That's all serving here internally, serving each other in the body of Christ. But also we want to encourage you to serve outside the body. And three and a half years ago, we launched this program called 5,000 Hours. It was an effort for us to link you with community agencies. Some of those are our partners and some are, are not directly our partners, but just agencies doing a really good work in the city of Barrie and in Simcoe County. We want to connect you with those agencies directly to go and put hours into the community. And we've gone through two cycles of 5,000 hours. So we've put over 10,000 hours of time into the city over that last period of time. And we'd like to do that again. We're, we've reset the clock. We're doing another 5,000 hours. We need you to log those hours on the, on the website when you do them. But find an agency, find something you're passionate about, and get out there in Jesus' name and serve our city and serve our county uh, for his glory. Take the grace that God has given to you and dispense it out uh, to others. That that is what it means to be established in every good work and word. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us, and then uh, our time will be done here today. Father, we are so grateful that you have done so much in our lives, uh, all of it undeserved. And Father, you have poured out your love toward us. We know we're loved. And Father, you've given us your grace, and help us now to be firmly established 
in what we have heard here today. That every single person in this room who names Jesus Christ would be committed to finding a way to serve Christ by serving others. And that you would be pleased with what you see in us as your servants doing that. Glorify yourself in this place, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.